Good morning, everybody. Open your Bibles to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Everybody good? My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. I am so happy to see all of you. Welcome to you. Gosh, we're baptizing four people today, not in this service, but in the course of the day, four new baptisms. We dedicated a baby in the last service. It's just a really, really good day, and, and this is a good, good hour as well. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, you've been hearing a lot about grace marriage. Uh, I, I just don't know what else to say other than sign up. Come on, people, sign up for grace marriage. If you're married, you really need grace marriage. Uh, Casey and I, my wife, we've prayed for at least two years that we could have grace marriage in our church. The thing about grace marriage is it's lay-led. In other words, there are no ministers, pastors. You know, I'm not leading it. Our staff isn't leading it. This is all couples in the church. And that's why I just couldn't start it. You've got to have couples who are willing to rise up and lead this. And this is what we have. So get behind them now. Get together and sign up for, for grace marriage. You'll see the table out front. You can sign up with a QR code or paper card, whatever you want to use. Just sign up. For grace marriage. If you're newlywed, you're thinking, man, we're just started. We, we haven't even had time to have any problems yet. Well, why don't you get in grace marriage before, before the problems come? You could miss a whole lot of mess by getting in there right now and working on the relationship. Some of you are like, you know, Pastor Tim, we, we're already too far gone. Uh, we, we're already so messed up. Well, you need grace. Your marriage needs grace. Sign up. Some of you are saying, we don't have any problems. We got a good marriage. Well, you need to understand why it works when it works so that you know how to fix it when it's broke. So sign up for Grace Marriage. Couples, please sign up. Young couples, older couples, all couples, uh, Grace Marriage is for you. Uh, so speaking of marriage, I've started a new sermon series entitled Sacrificial Love. Last Wednesday night, I preached probably the second message in the series, and that was about marriage. It's interesting. We're all called to love like Jesus, but in the book of Ephesians, husbands in particular are called to love like Christ, to be willing to lay down their lives, uh, to love their wives like Jesus loved the church. So we talked about that Wednesday night. Today I want to stay in that vein of talking about sacrificial love as we see it in our families. I want to talk about what it means as parents and children together to experience sacrificial love. First Samuel chapter 1 is where we'll go. Uh, we'll learn the lesson from one good mama today. Her name is Hannah. So I want to talk to parents today. I know not all of your parents, and, and in that regard, I, I guess you just get to sit through a sermon that you know, isn't going to be between your eyes today, and, and that may feel good to you. Um, those of you with children, you'll, you'll get this. All of you are children of somebody, so maybe there's something here that makes you want to relate. Um, I also know how painful it is for some couples who long to have children, and to have to sit through a sermon about parenting is really, really difficult. Uh, my wife and I have been there. We went through a long series of miscarriages. And, uh, and, and this kind of sermon was excruciating back when we wanted so desperately to have uh, babies. And so uh, I, I know how hard that is. I just want to say that I know how hard that is. Uh, but let's still, let's go to the Word of God today and, and learn the lesson from Hannah, who receives a son from God and then gives him back. And there's the lesson for us. First Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuf in the hill country of Ephraim. See what you do when you're reading the Bible in public and you get a string of names like that, you just say it with confidence and just keep on going and everybody thinks you know what you're doing. So watch this. He was the son of Jeroam, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Penina had children. Hannah did not. 
Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Penina and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah and as they went to the tabernacle, and each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. That's just such a typical dude right there. You know what I mean? That's just such a man. You know, you don't need, I'll be your baby. You don't need a baby. You got, you know, you got me. Um, you have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? <laughs> Lord help him. <laughs> Verse 9. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord, and she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime, and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying... To the Lord, Eli watched her, seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound. He thought she had probably been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. No, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I'm very discouraged. And I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman. I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you asked of him. Thank you, sir, she exclaimed. And she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. The entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. They returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea, and in due time, she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. The next year, Elkanah and his family went on their annual trip to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and to keep his vow. But Hannah didn't go. She told her husband, wait until the boy is weaned. Then I will take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. Whatever you think is best, Elkanah agreed. Stay here for now and may the Lord help you keep your promise. So she stayed home and nursed the boy until he was weaned. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. And after sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I'm the very woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he's granted my request. And now I'm giving him back to the Lord. And he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worship the Lord there. So let's pretend for just a moment that I'm your mama. 
or uh, maybe your grandma. Uh, actually, more specifically, let me be your great-great-grandma. How's that? I'm going to be your great-great-grandma. Back in her day, a woman's work was never done. Your great-grandma worked so hard, y'all, uh, uh, keeping her girdle up or whatever. Um, uh, a woman's work was never done, right? Like your great-great-grandma, she had to make her own soap. I mean, she did. She made soap and everything else that was necessary in the house, it was her job to produce. A housewife, you know, they didn't play, y'all. It was hard work. On top of that, they had babies, like lots and lots of babies. All of our great-grandmas had like 19 babies, you know, because when she wasn't making soap, she was making babies. That's, that's how it always worked. But of course, her work was never done in the house. There was always more and more to do, and everything depended upon her work. And so somehow she had to care for the kids, right? I mean, she had to care for the babies, and, and there were so many of them. When they were small, I'm told, often our great-grandmothers would just leave the babies on a blanket, and when they were old enough to toddle off the blanket, then she had to do something else, right? And what she often did was, was take her apron strings. She would wear an apron to protect her dress while she worked in the house, and and once a toddler was able to move around, she would pin the, her apron string to his diaper, pin the kid literally to her, so now he's tied to her. So she can work, and the toddler can kind of move around a little bit without wandering off and getting into trouble. Your great-grandma was smart. This is how it worked, and this is what apron strings were for, you know, other than just keeping up the apron. They were keeping her kids from running off to Portland. I mean, that's exactly what she did. And you probably heard the old saying, you know, you need to cut the apron strings or loosen the apron strings. It has to do with that. Our great-grandmothers would literally tie the children to themselves. The toddler would be tied to grandma until that child was old enough to be able to, you know, be a little more independent. And at that point, that little boy, that little girl would, would join the work. If they were old enough to be untied, they were old enough to work, you know. That's how it all operated back in the day. So there was that moment in time when your great-grandmother, somebody's mama, she just had to, as I say, you know, uh, cut the string. And, and they cut the string, and the children would grow, and... Um, that's why we talk about the need to, you know, cut the old apron strings. Um, I'm sure even back in the day, sometimes that was hard. There's just something about having your children near. You know what I mean? Having your little one near. And as much as it starts out being because they need you, because of the need to protect them and, and all of that, at some point, most of us just realize how really sweet it is to have them close. That's why, honestly... Um, cutting that string is one of the hardest things we ever do. It really is. In, in the course of raising our children, we sometimes forget what the parent's job is. So in, in case you've grown forgetful yourself, let me just remind you what your priority as a parent is. Again, in the busyness of raising children, we get confused. But there's so much to do in raising them that we sometimes just get the wires crossed. We forget what the priorities are. Your priority as a parent is to transfer your child's primary love, obedience, and dependence away from yourself to Christ. That's your job. That's literally your only job. 
Now, I know you're also going to take them to, you know, to school and to practice and all of that. But in the busyness of that, in the busyness of you know, braces and you know, lacrosse and cheerleading and everything else, you forget that this is your one job. This is the job you must not fail at. I know, I know that you also really want to get her in the best cheerleading camp, but that is not your priority. That that could be a nice thing to do for your daughter, but this is your priority. You want to transfer her dependence away from you and, and help her to be dependent upon Christ. She needs to depend upon Christ. You understand, your child was never intended to be tied to you for his whole life. Your child is intended to be anchored to Christ, and this is your priority, this is your job, but can I just say this is hard? And that's why we talk about sacrificial love here. There are many sacrifices that parents make, but I think this is probably the hardest one, just to let them go. But you have to let them go. It's a gradual thing. It really is, it's meant to be gradual. Now, when you start out, this little one is completely dependent upon you. They need you for everything. That's the very nature of a baby and and to be the parents. They need you for everything. Oh, my goodness, y'all. Our son is 28 now. He lives in Austin, Texas. I remember when that kid was born. It honestly feels like yesterday. It really, really does. He was born in Baptist Hospital East in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, he was really big baby. Casey's not a big girl, so, you know, God bless his mama. You know, I mean, she brought him into the world. I think he weighed like 10 pounds, 11 pounds, like crazy, crazy. Um, so that was kind of freaky. And, and then before you know it, she's in a wheelchair, and they're pushing us out. Now, my wife is a registered nurse, and I'm a Ph.D., but we are stupid. Like, we have no idea. We have no idea how to raise a baby. We have no idea. Nobody has any idea. I don't even, I think it's, it's, it's crazy that they let people have babies and just leave the hospital. When I was a child, I used to save my money and buy hamsters at Walmart. And if you buy a hamster at Walmart, they at least make you take a book. Like there's a, a Walmart book, like the care and feeding of your hamster, because they don't want you to kill the hamster and then flush it. You know, they, they want the hamster to survive. But I'm telling you, we had a baby and they just put us in the car. Sent us out. As long as we had a car, we had to have a car seat. So I had a car seat. I don't know what to do with a car seat. It had so many straps. I tied him up in there and then drove out of that place. I was scared to death. We lived about five miles from the hospital. It took us 35 minutes to get home because I drove so slow. I drove like we had like like a ticking time bomb. And I mean, I I drove so slow. Man, we got a baby in the car. I mean, you know, y'all remember any of that? It's just crazy. We got him home, and instantly, as soon as he was like just in our care, he got jaundiced. That's what they call it. In other words, he just turned orange. I assumed we had totally ruined him. I mean, I just thought, we've messed this. We met, take him back. I mean, you know, we've ruined him. And it was terrible. It was terrible. So this orange baby, you know, 10-pound baby's in a bassinet, and me and Casey, I mean, we're so tired. We're just standing by the bassinet just crying. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible. We haven't slept, you know. I mean, she's still feeling like her guts are coming out, and our baby's orange. So they sent home health out, and home health came and put him in this little light, like Billy lights, what I'm talking about, like a suitcase, and we had to put him in there and leave him. And so now we're just standing by the suitcase with the lights, just, <laughs> just crying. It was terrible. It was terrible. How in the world we ever, you know, raise that kid? But, 
but you figure it out. That's the point. You figure it out, man. I never change any diapers, and then I'm a pro, you know, because that kid could fill one. I mean, I mean, he could just fill a diaper like that. It's just amazing. He was dependent upon us for everything. We, we fed him. We changed him. We bathed him. And as scary as that is at first, it becomes something really wonderful. You know what I mean? It becomes something wonderful to have somebody so dependent upon you and you know what you're doing, you know? So raising that child, he has problems, but they're, they're, they're child problems, you know, and I can deal with those. I can deal with your third grade problems. You know, I can, I can manage that stuff. My, my kid had big problems, you know, a skin knee, a wrecked bike, you know, whatever, chicken pox. And I, I knew how to deal with all of that. That His dependence was not something that was frightening. It actually felt pretty wonderful. You know, to be able to come through and, and be there so, for somebody and, and, and know what you're doing, that, that's a great feeling. Um, obedience, you know, just to be able to train your child, you know, to, to begin to help her to learn to listen to your voice and follow your example and listen to what you say so that she won't get hurt, you know, so that they learn. And, and you want them to be obedient to you and, 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 and a disciplined, you know, child, a child that learns to love and listen to her parents. It's a wonderful thing. I just love that relationship of trust and obedience. But, but that love... Most people, a lot of people would say that they didn't even know what love was until they had a child, you know. It, it's something so very different. I've even heard people say that, you know, they never even felt that kind of love from their own parents. Some, some people just, the, the moment they hold that baby in their arms is the first time they really experience unconditional love. You know what I mean? The, your, your children just love you. You're their daddy, you're, you're their mama, and, and there's no question. There's nothing to earn. They just love you. The, the moment you look in those eyes, you're just in love. And it's a beautiful thing. It, it's also a, a temporary thing. They're not going to be little for long. Now, that's hard to understand because sometimes those days seem so long. I was laughing at somebody. One of y'all put on Facebook, you spent the whole day yesterday to track me. <laughs> yesterday was miserable. Somebody else said they were outside yesterday at a baseball, a you know, kid had baseball practice. Yesterday was miserable. I don't miss those days at all. I miss some things about having a child, but I do not miss, you know, those, you know, 20 degree track meets. You know, that's terrible, terrible. Oh my goodness, those are the longest days in the world. But I miss, I really miss you know, one of those track meets was our last track meet, and I'm not sure I paid enough attention to the fact that I wasn't going to get to do that again. You know, it's just interesting how fast it all goes by. And before you know it, this little one, you know, that was laying on your couch, you know, wiping his boogers on the pillow, and you know, and and you know, and you were trying to get him to brush his teeth. All of a sudden, he's he's, he's just grown. And, and that's the hard part about being a parent. It, it, it's wonderful, and it all goes by so quickly, and then you have to let them go. It, it's a gradual kind of release, make no mistake. It's, it's not something that you do suddenly. I mean, please don't just give them up today, but, but gradually you're, you're, you're letting them go until the point where, honestly, it's really not about you anymore. It's, it's about them. They're going to live a life that's going to be somewhat separate and independent of you, and that's the plan. That's that's God's plan. It's, it's what you learned from Hannah. 
If any mama ever deserved to be a possessive mama, I would say Hannah should be the one. I mean, she should get to keep her baby. This woman begged God for a baby boy, and he gave her a baby boy, and I just think, my goodness, let her keep him. But Hannah made a promise. She said, Lord, if you will give me a son, I will give him back to you. He will belong to you every day of his life. She kept her promise. She kept that promise. Now, on top of that, we're told that the priest in that day, his name was Eli, and we're told that he was kind of getting old, and, and his two sons were sort of taking over the ministry. Now, his two sons, we're told, their names are Hophni and Phinehas. If you read on in 1 Samuel, what you learn in the next chapter is Hophni and Phinehas are orangutans. They're terrible. I mean, they are terrible. So here's what we know. Eli is the priest. He may be a pretty good priest. I'd say he's kind of a mediocre priest, actually. Uh, but at the same time, he's a terrible father. Uh, I mean, if, if these two sons are any sort of testimony to his parenting skills, this dude is a disaster. So when Hannah makes this promise to give her son back to the Lord, what she does is walk straight back to that tabernacle and put him in the arms of who? Eli. Okay, if I was Hannah, me and God would have a talk. I would have to say, God, I know I promised to give him back to you, but I am not giving him to Eli. You know, and I would give God the whole orangutan speech, you know, about how I would have to say to God, you know, Eli is... He is not father material, and I'm certainly not going to trust my baby to him. You know what I mean? But Hannah does exactly, exactly that. She walks into that tabernacle, and she leaves that baby with Eli. Why? Because her faith was not in Eli. Her faith was in the Lord. She trusted the Lord. This woman is an amazing woman. She says, this baby that you've given me, God, I'm going to give him back to you. He's going to belong to you every day of his life. Do you understand? That's your job. That's always your job. Your job is to give your children back to the Lord. The greatest joy, and I say this with all seriousness, the greatest joy in having a child is to give that child fully and freely back to God. You give them back to God. Now, unlike Hannah, that does not mean you're going to leave them at church. Some of you have tried that. Don't. We ain't falling for that. You know, the DeVries have left their boys here several times, and we call them. You know, Melissa, you got to come get Mason. You know, y'all ain't doing that. If you do, leave them, at, leave them by Warren's door. You know, don't leave your children here. That's not what, that's not what we're talking about. But you still have this responsibility to give your children back to God. Whether we're talking about babies or adult children, you've got to trust them to God. You must entrust them to God. What exactly does it mean to, to give your children to God? I, I would say it this way, and I say this as a dad, you got to surrender what's best for you. You know, we surrender what's best for us so that our children can experience God's best for them. Notice there's a distinction here. My idea of what's best versus God's idea of what's best. I'm not ultimately the one that controls the lives of my children, and I'm only going to mess them up if I try. You know what I'm saying? I'm not the Lord of my son's life. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my son's life. And that means I've often got to give up what I think will be best for me. 
I mean, as a dad, I have dreams, you know, and, and I love having my son close. Man, we live on a farm with land. I would love nothing more than my son to just build a house and live next door to me. But that's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. That's not my aim as a parent. Do you understand? He was never meant to be tied to me. He's meant to be anchored in Christ. And so just simply having your children running around you, do you understand that that may sound like what's best for you, but if that's not God's best for them, you have to give that up. You have to give that up. I'm speaking as a man whose son lives in Austin, Texas, but he's serving the Lord there. He's serving the Lord there. Casey and I, our goal is to try to see him four times a year. That's not nearly enough. But you know what? He's serving the Lord there. I am not for a moment going to make him feel guilty for wanting to serve the Lord by moving away from me. Do you understand? That's not, that's not my job as his father. My job is to surrender what I think is best because I want him to have God's best. God's best for him. And understand, there's a distinction. Now, I love my son, and I could dream a dream for his life, but understand, whatever dream I would dream, it would never be large enough. God knows what's in that boy. God created my son, understand? And God gave him to us, but that doesn't make him ours. He still belongs to the Lord. And the Lord has a purpose for his life, and the Lord has a dream for his life, and I want my son to go chase that. I want him to know that. I want him to know God's best. Yeah, that's a sacrifice for us as his parents, but do you know what? That's what love does. Love gives up what's best for itself for the sake of the one that you love. I want God to bless him because God's hands are so much larger to bless. I want God to provide for my son because God is such a better provider. I mean, you understand? I love my son. But didn't Jesus say, aren't you, you know, earthly fathers? You know, as much as you love to give good gifts to your son, how much more, how much more does your heavenly father love to give? Understand? I love my son, you love your children, but how much more? You think God loves them? You think you want good things for them? How much more does God want good things for them? So our job as a parent is ultimately just to get out of the way, give them back to God, trust God with your children. Let them follow him. It's really nice when you have a child that follows in your footsteps, but that's not your goal. You want them to follow Jesus. It's nice to have children close by, but it's much more important to have them near to Jesus. You want them following Jesus. You want them anchored to Christ, not tied to you. So how do you do it? Okay, I say, I don't, I'm not good at it. I'm not, my wife's better. I could bring her up. She, she's better at this. This is hard, you all. We all love our kids, you know, it's, it's hard, but, but I think it starts here. Remember I said that your job as a parent is to transfer their dependence, their love, their obedience. You transfer that from yourself to Christ. Okay? That's really kind of the definition of adulthood. To be a person who is completely dependent upon Christ and able to follow and love Jesus above all. That's what we're taught. That's what maturity is. And I guess... Where this starts is just simply making sure that in, in your own life, you're a grown-up. 
as a parent, you got to be a grown-up. In other words, your primary love and obedience and dependence, it must be given to Christ. It can't happen through you if it hasn't happened in you. And the problem is a whole lot of parents, they really have somehow never really learned how to just love Jesus first, how to depend upon Christ and have their needs met through Christ. The number one pitfall in parenting is that as parents, we become dependent on our children. In other words, we need them happy in front of us so that we can be happy. You know, we need our children, you know, to be our friend. And, and I'm telling you, it's a disaster. And somebody's sitting there saying, Pastor Tim, you don't understand. My daughter is my best friend. She's my best friend. Well, I'm glad that you're so close to your daughter. But do you understand, please, that your daughter's going to have a world of friends. There are all kinds of people in this world who could be your best friend. But she really needs a mama. Show up and be her mama. I mean, some of you guys, like, you're afraid to tell your son no because you couldn't bear for a minute if you thought he was mad at you. Okay, you really need to grow up and be a dad. See, the thing is, you're getting your needs met from your children, and they were not created to fulfill your needs. That's not what children are for. I mean, if if you feel like you've never been loved before, you need to get to know Jesus. You don't need to have another baby. That, that unconditional love, that, that need for love and, 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 and worth and affirmation, you need to find that in Jesus. That's not something that your children can always provide for you. You're supposed to be the adult. You're supposed to provide for them. But so many of us, we become dependent upon our children. So the very idea that they could move away, the very idea that they might love Jesus more, that makes us uncomfortable. We want to be the center of their lives. We need them to be the center of our lives. And I'm telling you, that's not what children are for. That's not what God gave you children for. They're not trying to complete what's missing in your life. Jesus will complete what's missing in your life. Does it make sense? So understand, God comes first not your children. God comes first. In your life, God comes first. And get this, in their lives, God comes first, not you. This is how it's got to be. And this is actually, this is a good way. I mean, would you want to say it differently? Do you really think you want to come before God in their lives? You're not the source. You want to be. You want your children to come to you. You always want to be there for them. But do you understand, you will not always be there. I mean, if the circle of life follows its typical order, your children one day will stand in the cemetery and bury you. They outlive you. And if they're totally dependent upon you, where will they be when you're gone? Teach them to depend upon Jesus. Teach them to love God first. And in your life, make sure God comes first. You have to depend upon the Lord. You just have to. This is just, there's no other way to to talk about living a Christian life and especially to talk about a Christian family. God's got to come first. Man, I've seen it. You have too. I've seen the parents where the children, I mean, they just make the children first in their lives. I see so many, I see so many couples who divorce when the last kid graduates high school goes off to college? Well, what's that about? It's about a couple that put the children in the center of their marriage. 
And, and, and after a few years, once you take the kids out of the picture, they don't have any marriage. I mean, the children were the center of everything. I mean, right now, I hate to say it because I know it, it seems kind of private and personal, but some of you, like right now, dude, you haven't slept in bed with, with your wife for like five years. Your kids are in bed with your wife. Like your son is in bed, and you're sleeping in like the Star Wars sheets because you don't know how, you know, to, 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 to keep your place beside your wife and put your son in his bed. Like the, the children just, you know, they're just precious little, you know, we just can't bear to not be with them. And, and you put your child in the middle of everything and, and then you understand when that has to change and it has to change. Sooner or later, you got to cut the stream. If you don't, you damage your children. You, you damage your family. You cannot live any other way. God has to come first, not your children. And in their lives, you have to teach them that God comes first. That means they have to love God first. They have to love God more. That means if they have to break your heart to follow Jesus, you just teach them to follow Jesus and Jesus will take care of you. I mean, God comes first. We do not put people in the place of God. We do not make people the center of our lives. So Hannah goes back to the tabernacle and she says, I prayed for this boy. This is the son I prayed for and this is the son God gave me. And today I'm giving him back. He will belong to the Lord as long as he lives. That's what you have to do. I find it difficult personally. Even lately, just for me as a dad, I would, I would remove every rough place in the path of my son. I, I would want him, I would do everything for him. I would make everything easy for him, but that's not life. When I pray for my son, you know, sometimes I just, I just beg God to bless him and beg God to make everything good for him. And, uh, and God just continues to remind me, you know, you know if, if, if I love him, how much more? How much more does he love him? Which is just a reminder that I can trust God with my son. I can trust God. And, and you can trust God with your children. He loves them more than you do. Created them. Made them. He, he put things in them. He put gifts. He put beauty in them that you haven't even seen yet. But understand, he, he didn't make them for you to keep. It's a purpose for their lives. They need to serve him. And you need to let him go. So Hannah says, this is, this is the baby. Prayed for him. And now I'm giving him back. As long as he lives, he'll belong to the Lord. That's a good mama. That's a good mama. Pray with me. God, there are in this world good mamas, but there aren't any perfect mamas. There's some good dads. None of us is a perfect dad. We love our children, though. We want everything good for them. 
And sometimes, Lord, we think that we're the only ones who can give that to him. Or maybe we're just the ones who want so desperately to give it to him. We want it to come from our hand. Help us, Lord. Help us understand that your hand is bigger, your heart is deeper, your eyes see further. And if we think for a moment we love our kids, help us to understand how much more you love them. God, give every mom and dad in this room the grace to trust their kids to you. Make the sacrifices necessary, Lord, so that they may love us, but that they will always love you first. Lord God, we pray these things for all of us, all of our families, all of our lives, Lord, knowing that you and you alone are our good Father. Heavenly Father, help us to love our families, to love our spouses, to love our children, but help us always to love you most and first. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen.